0: Sons of the Most Holy Redeemer. Father Michael Mary is the founder and the superior of, of this um, religious order. Um, and it's, it has a unique importance for us, I think. And um, we're very um, privileged to have on either side of me here um, the fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King represented. Um, and we're even more privileged, obviously, to have their apostles. In England, um, which um, which is fantastic, the sons of the Holy have a have a, a apostolate which is um, a complementary one um, to those. Um, it's not. Um, well, I won't say in competition because what we, we don't speak about the competition exactly, but it's it's, it's not a parochial uh, a uh, a parochial apostolate in the same way um, as the the um, fraternity and the institute. Um, Father Michael can tell us more about that um, but it's, it's also unique in that it's based in the British Isles the, the, um, the headquarters of this um, of this international order um, is actually um, in the British Isles it is admittedly in the part of the British Isles that used to be part of Norway um, <laughs> until surprisingly recently um, and um, if things carry on it might be part of Norway once again um, <laughs> Um, taking uh, taking some of the oil with them, perhaps. Uh, but um, for the time being, it is actually part of um, the um, uh, this this United Kingdom of ours, um, and it's it's a great honour um, for England, um, not England, obviously, for Great Britain, um, which is which is um, not a place you expect to find these things happening, perhaps, um, to have our own. Our own little um, little order, um, and one of this rather amazing um, and unique um, apostolic apostolic work. So, Father Michael Merritt.
1: Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. By thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. My mother, keep me this day from mortal sin. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And by thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. My mother, free me this day from mortal sin. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. By thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. My mother, free me this day from mortal sin. Somebody said to me just a few moments ago, you've come a long way. Well, we're not going anywhere either. We are not going to be leaving uh, Great Britain, I hope. Certainly not. We've got no intentions. We're part of the Diocese of Aberdeen. And uh, one thing I just to say before we begin is that As part of the redemptorist family of St. Alphonsus, we also live on an island that belonged to St. Columba and his monks. That's why it's called Papa Stronzi, the Papari, the monks of St. Columba, inhabited that island for so very long. And uh, we are quite um, touched, really, by the spirituality of the first missionary monks of Scotland. So we're not going anywhere. But to the question, where do you come from? I reply, we came from the new iconoclasm recorded in the dirge of Thursday at 6th. Psalm 73, Why, O God, have you cast us off forever? Remember your people whom you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed to be your own possession, the mountain of Zion where you made your dwelling. Turn your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has laid waste the whole of the sanctuary. Your foes have made uproar in your house of prayer. They've set up their emblems, their foreign emblems, high above the entry of the sanctuary. Their axes have battered the wood of its doors. They've struck together with hatchet and pickaxe. O God, they have set your sanctuary on fire. They have raised and profaned the place where you dwell. There is no sign from God, nor have we a prophet. We have no one to tell us how long it will last. This is where we have been, this is where we come from. This is what we have lived through. Cardinal Ratzinger spoke of a new iconoclasm that he said, quote, has left behind a void, the wretchedness of which we are now experiencing in a truly acute way. But we have not a lifetime to weep. Lest the summer be over and we are not saved. With God's most heartening grace we brace ourselves, bear ourselves up in the hour of sext and by Thursday's Vespers, life's Thursday Vespers, we raise the tone to a plaintive moan, superflumina Babylonis, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. My personal introduction done, but it's the introduction of one, it's the introduction of many, of all who, attached to, who are attached to the traditional Latin mass and spirituality. By Thursday night in the Divine Office in Compline, further weeping is not an option. We intone... Psalm 69, Deus and adjutorium meum intende, O God, incline unto my aid, O God, O Lord, make haste to help me. And the psalm goes on, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I proclaim your wonders still, erusque in sinectam et on Thursday night in bed, my soul Remember, not today, remember yesterday, Wednesday's Matins, when the sun rose over Holy Sion and we were all there. When within the song of the fullness of our happiness, the Holy Ghost spoke to us and in our hearts said, Great is the Lord and exceedingly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy mountain, which is the church, right? And so we take the direction for this address from that beautiful Psalm 47. Walk through Sion. Walk all round her. Count the number of her towers. Review all her ramparts. Examine her castles, that you may tell the next generation that such is our God. Our God, forever and always, it is he who leads us. And that is the point. God is leading us. We go with God. If we've been through it, he'll get us through it and beyond it. But you, he says, walk round Sion, counter towers, examine ramparts, look at the castles. Why? That you may tell the next generation, because it's true. The devastation has been done. Sion, poor Sion, the fire in the sanctuary, but that's not a holy fire. There is another fire that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. What a wonderful thing. After the destruction of Jerusalem, when the elders returned, they found still the fire of sacrifice hidden in the ground. It had escaped the foul fire. And they found it, and they dug it out. They only needed to blow upon it. And the sacrifice of gods that was pleasing to God, that sacrifice continued. And so I say, in a sense, a bit like archaeology, a bit of my own fantasy, but these are days of fantasy. Imagine these towers that we saw yesterday. Count them. Go close to them. Why? Why? Because the whole point of this is evangelisation. That you may tell the next generation that such is our God. These are parts of Holy Sion. I'm not going to speak of the sanctuary. It's been done so beautifully. But other parts of Holy Jerusalem, other parts of Holy Church that have also been devastated, that are surrounding the sanctuary, that are part of the sanctuary, let us talk about these. Towers, and I have my own names for them. As I said, a bit of fantasy the tiny tower of rod and hook. And here we come to this tiny tower. It's not too bad, quite good shape a little bit, but it's another tower of Holy Sion. It's the little tower of rod and hook. What is this rod and hook? St. Alphonsus tells you. He says, imagine the baby Jesus as a little kid with a rod and a hook. And with this rod right and hook, he's come out to catch your hearts with a hook. And he wants to bring them in. And isn't it an interesting thing that today, in our sophisticated age, the old devotions, the infant of Prague, an old devotion, not well loved, probably. We're above that kind of thing, perhaps. And yet it's a great devotion, it gives graces. It's a tower of holy scion that our ancestors have known and visited for ages and ages. It's a tower like all the other towers that has at the bottom of the tower a well. A well of water, a water with a particular virtue, and the virtues of the holy infancy, our humility, our purity, our divine daring. And we're missing a lot of daring because basically, myself included, we're a church of cowards. But the wee baby Jesus came as a little baby, divine daring, to come among the wolves as a little child with his rod and hook, deep sea fishing. Wee boy, that's St. Alphonsus. So in our bonnie Scotland, we devised a, a baby Jesus done up as you should be. Why hasn't everyone got one? In in the kilt, yes, I know. You say, well, that's a bit odd. And it is. (laughs) Room for a lot of humour and beauty in the church. And he's a cute little baby Jesus done up in the royal Highland Tartan wearing the Hunterstone brooch, which is a replica of the oldest brooch found in Scotland. He's wearing the honours of Scotland and this is not a ploy for nationalism. He's sitting on the stone of scone or schoon or however you want to say it. But what's the point of it? Holy daring. Devotion to the divine infant is not something for wimps. No, it's to take wimps and make them into men. And so we find the hymn to the divine infant that we've got on the back of this is written by none other than your own St. Robert Southwell. who was hanged, drawn, and quartered here at Tyburn. A man like that, a man of guts. And where did he get the guts? From devotion. The little baby Jesus, whom he wrote about. Let folly praise that fancy loves. I praise and love that child whose heart no thought whose tongue no word, whose hand no deed defiled. I praise him most, I love him best. All praise and love is his, while him I love, in him I live, and cannot live amiss. To love him, life. To leave him, death. To live in him, delight. He, mine by gift. I, his, by debt us each to other Jew. First friend he was, best friend he is, all times will try him true. Robert Southwell, Jesuit, intellectual, man of extreme talent, man of incredible daring and courage, man of purity, man of gentleness, man man of gentleness, happy to be hanged, drawn and courted rather than lose him to whom he loved so much to him, to love him life, rather than leave him, to leave him death, to live in him delight. And so we should all have devotion to the little tower of rod and hook, to the little baby Jesus. St. Alphonsus had his own baby Jesus in his cell. St. Clement Hofbauer, also a redemptorist, had his little baby Jesus as well. Every month from the 25th to keep the little Christmas. To keep the little Christmas. And this baby Jesus, someone said, but I've never seen a baby Jesus before with wounds in his hands and his feet. And you're right. And no other time has needed a little baby Jesus with wounds in his hands and feet That in our time of wounded innocence, of abortion, of paedophilia, and of all the other things that go that have wounded the baby Jesus. And crucified holy innocence in childhood. So there's a place for us all to hold and to love the infant Jesus. The more you honour me, the more I will bless you, the old thing of the infant of Prague. It's the same devotion. Blessed by Bishop Hugh of Aberdeen. And sung in this free C D which we offer you by none other than Scotland's Maggie McIn- McInnes, uh, a Gaelic singer. But she's got a beautiful sound to her voice and she plays a harp. It's quite beautiful. Anyway, it's free. And uh, you're most welcome to have one. It. It's First Tower. Walk through Sion, walk all round at counter towers, that you may tell the next generation that such is our God. When you walk through the rubble, hold your head up high, remember Sion before they hacked her panels. Recall her towers, her ramparts, that you may tell the next generation, the young ones, that such is our God. Set to work and repair and recover the towers of Sion, that shelter within their stones, holy wells. Repair the towers and make their waters known to the next generation, that they may draw waters in joy out of the Saviour's fountains. Let us then walk through Sion, walk all round it, count some of her towers review some of her ramparts, examine her castles, that we may tell the next generation that such is our God, our God forever and always, it is he who leads us. And now we've come to the checkered towers near Cemetery Gate. They are called so because they were constructed of giant stones of jet black or dazzling white. As a chessboard. So today they lie, lie in a ruined heap, dismantled during the new ICANN iconoclasm in the 60s and 70s. There's not a lot of encouragement to see them restored. The spiritual edifices stand near Cemetery Gate. People are still dying, of course, and the Cemetery Gate is used as much as ever. But a new road bypasses the towers completely. They are considered a a gloomy, negative place these days. They have a bad reputation. The older people never look at them. And they warn the next generation to keep away from the dangerous ruins of checkered towers lest they fall into one of the old wells that lie beneath the debris. Speaking of which... There's a legend about these wells and beneath these towers of chequered the chequered towers. Of course, they're only pure legends, as we know. They say they're wells. They say that the wells were all the same wells that where the water changed its taste. The first sips they said tasted bitter, sharp. Many people were sick. The second time, though, if you persevered. And when to drink drink, them, the draught tasted salty like teardrops. Now we know it's just a legend. But the legend said that after the salty water that had been drained from the cup, the next time the water tasted sweet and sparkled in the glass, and the people also changed, they say, they left their checkered pasts for good and were supposed to have turned into decent men. And over the doorways of the different towers, the chequered towers, were inscriptions such as Memento Mori, Remember Death. Or, What doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? Or, What exchange can a man give for his soul? Or, With Fear and Trembling, Work out your salvation. Indeed, so says the parable, every eternal truth is a tower in the city of God. A tower to be counted, to have its ramparts reviewed and its palaces examined. Usually the work of the holy missions. With God's grace, just one tower just one eternal truth, well-counted, openly reviewed, closely examined, is sufficient to turn a spiritual jack jet-black stone into a dazzling white one to make of a sinner a saint. The bitter, salty, and sweet waters drawn from considerations found within the truthful towers of salvation, death, judgment, eternal hell, and heaven effect changes. Myriads of sinners became saints in those towers. Millions of names of grateful souls written out on paper in every language under heaven from every tribe and tongue and people and nation could be found squeezed between their great black and white stones. Eternal truths. The checkered towers of the city of God. The tower of eternity. Well, we all wish to be saved. We all aspire after a blessed eternity. We all know that to save our souls, it is necessary to use the short time which God accords us in this miserable life. We're all convinced that time is passing away and eternity is approaching. And yet, there are so few who know how to seize this passing time. Do you know why? It is because they no longer keep their gaze fixed on eternity. It was not thus, it was not thus that holy David, King David acted. Look at him over there. Look at him in the gloom of the night. Why is he up so early? Why is he there by himself? Why did he stay so late? What keeps him fixed? Why does he, he would reply to you that it's because he's meditating on the days gone by like the river of a water. Cogitavi dies antiquas et anos eternos in mente habui. I thought upon the days of old and I had in my mind the eternal years. The tower of trembling work. We all wish to be saved. We all aspire after a blessed eternity. We all know that to save our souls, it is necessary that we use the short time which God accords us in this miserable life. We are all convinced that time is passing away and we must work out our salvation. And here we find St. Francis of Assisi here on the steep inclines of Mount Alverna and he's meditating and of a sudden he sees heaven opened and then he sees hell yawning at his feet and he sees his soul like a bird hovering between Heaven above and hell below. He contemplates. And how easy, how easy it is to lose altitude. How difficult to gain height. Heaven is opened. Hell is opened. Man is in the middle and holding his, fixed, holding his fixed view on the sight of his soul, examining, looking deeply, he made such resolutions that he became St. Francis of Assisi. What fervent resolutions were born in his heart as he considered that he was suspended in mid-flight That upward flight required all his efforts. Your upward flight, my upward flight, requires all effort. And plunging down, don't we know it, is easy. With fear and trembling, says the Holy Ghost, work out your salvation. the Tower of Crisis. We all wish to be saved. We all aspire after a blessed eternity. We all know that to save our souls it is necessary to use well the short time God accords us in this miserable life. For we are on our way to one place or the other. Ah, weep, Caesarius of Arles. Forty years a bishop, he went to eternity in 542. Yes, in your time, you had no match, except in St. Gregory the Great and St. Gregory of Tours. You were equal to a Gregory the Great, a Gregory of Tours. They were your class of men. Yet you wept in the day and you wept in the night as your deacon Stephen testified that first you were whispering in your sleep and then with all your voice you were giving out so that it was heard all through the house the call from your slumber. There are two places. There is no middle, only two. Either one ascends into heaven or descends into hell. Duo sunt Nicolas and medium, dicol duo sunt, aut in chelema in infernum de And yet, if we take it just as a word like that, it'll mean nothing. Caesarius of Arles, he contemplated the ramparts, he knew the tower, he'd been in there, he knew the walls, he knew what he was talking about, he'd done his theology, and he said, my gosh, in the end, Duosunt. There's only two. There's no medium. It's a crisis. One or the other. Either ascend up or descend down. Nothing in the middle. The tower of crisis. A checkered tower. No one tells you to go there. The tower of uncertain judgment. We all wish to be saved. We all aspire after blessed eternity. We all know that to save our souls it is necessary to use well the short time which God accords us in this miserable life. For then we shall be judged. And if salvation was certain, we could breathe easily. But salvation is not certain. Keep away from checkered towers. Ask St. Bernard of Clairvaux. St. Bernard, born 1090, died at the age of 60, 1153, abbot, more as founder of the Cistercians, the honey-tongued doctor of the church, the saint who lived in homage as Our Lady's Knight, who gave us, in fact, the title Our Lady for Our Blessed Mother, who saluted Our Lady, Ave Maria, and heard her her reply, Ave Bernardi. The saint who gave us, O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, at the end of the Salve Regina, asked Holy Bernard about judgment. With a quiet, inquiring, trembling whisper, he replies, Who of you can say that he's sufficiently innocent sufficiently advanced in virtue sufficiently agreeable to God who if he was able to say quite frankly I am of the number of the elect my name is written in the book of life I am one of the predestined to heaven. And they tell us from his life that one day he stumbled upon those words of the Holy Ghost. Ecclesiastes 9 1 Yet man knows not whether he be worthy of love or hatred. The Holy Ghost said it. You don't know, buddy. You don't know whether you're worthy of love or hatred. You don't know the judgments of God. And then he would repeat to himself, who knows what will become of me? Shall I be saved or shall I be damned? A citizen of heaven or a poker of hell? Nation homo, nation homo, nobody knows, nobody knows. And he would weep and tell you, my dear brothers, sisters, This is checkered towers. Nobody wants these missions. Nobody wants to really examine the eternal truths that made our ancestors from sinners into saints, from black stones to white stones. None of us sufficiently in numbers have the courage to want to take the bitter water to become the salty water of tears, to become the sweet water a good conscience and peace with God. And finally, the narrow gates. For we all wish to be saved. We all aspire after a blessed eternity. We all know that to save our souls, it is necessary to use the use well the short time which God accords us in this miserable life. But when a curious man said to our blessed Lord, Jesus Christ himself... Domine si sunt qui salvantur. Lord, are they few who will be saved? Our blessed Lord never said, shh. Keep away from checkered towers. He never said, come over here and I'll tell you myself quietly. Don't disturb the people. But he said to everybody there, strive to enter by the narrow gate. Why, why, why strive? Strive to enter by the narrow gate, he says. For many, oh, I never said it. You can get it from me. For many, I say to you, God, I hope I'm not among them. For many, I say to you, shall seek to enter and shall not be able. Who wants to examine that sentence of our Lord Closely. Who wants to walk around the inside of that tower of the narrow gate and examine some of the walls? Who wants to stick with it for very long at all? No. Let's get out of there. Keep away from that kind of stuff. Salty water. Not for me. Not for me the salty water. Not for me the bitter taste. Forget the sparkling whatever it is. I'll stick with champagne. (coughs) Okay, so I want to go on too long. Here's a tower that's perhaps not so interesting for everybody, but I think it's for the next generation. And so I've got to say it. This is a good tower. No salt. I call it the inclining tower at Haste Ye Gate. And so we don't say it's quite a tower, someone said it's a leaning rock. It's still there's still got its relics, it's still around. It's more like an Orkney standing stone, but yet once it was a massive tower that is seldom now revisited, really. They touch it. Some touch it seven or ten times a day, priests. A new breviary three or four times a day. We go to four hundred and twenty five AD and there's a monk before us and he's not remembering Sion. No, he's remembering Egypt. Anything writing Conference ten, he's at chapter ten. That's Conference X. At Chapter X. His name John Cassian. He's an abbot. Lots and lots of monks in his monastery, and he's getting to the best part of this story. He's been building them right up, and Abbot Isaac is the man who's in the middle of it all. And Abbot Isaac has got the goods. And Abbot Isaac is going to tell them, what is the prayer? What is the prayer that a monk should be praying really? And what will give me the prayer, the continual prayer? And Abbot Isaac has been slow in giving out the the story. He doesn't want to give it. Because it's really only for people who are really serious about it. And so it comes to the crunch, and I'll read you the crunch. And uh, writing very fast, St. John Cassian says, And this was delivered to us. This is Isaac speaking. He's speaking about because Isaac knew. Isaac met St. John Cassian. St. John Cassian went to Egypt on a tour. He met Abbot Isaac, who knew Makarios, who knew St. Anthony the Great. And this is the great prayer of the Desert Fathers. And as this was was delivered to us by a few of those who were left of the oldest fathers, says Isaac, so it is only divulged by us to a very few and those who are really keen. And so, for keeping up continual prayer and recollection, this pious formula is to be ever set before you. To be ever set before you. Deus in adjutorium meum intende, domine ad adjuvandrum me festina. Incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. And then, in a beautiful way, he goes on with about this prayer. And it's a ejaculatory prayer, right? It's one of these things that's a tower that's. This prayer, you know, this prayer is a fantastic prayer. This prayer was said everywhere, all the time, by monks. From the deserts of Egypt, through John Cassian, Ireland, and St. Patrick, France, Italy. In no time we've got all these great people telling us about it. In no time at all, St. Benedict has it in his rule. And St. Benedict gets it to St. Gregory the Great. And it's going all through the empire. Everybody knows about it. And these monks are praying it and people are praying it all the time as their ejaculatory prayer. And they're in today, it's an adjitorium, ma'am, and tende. Dominate seen mefesina the whole time. And he writes this beautiful thing. It's it's really nice. So here he is, the monk, and he's doing his thing. And he's saying, I'm inclined to anticipate the hour fixed for supper. Or I am trying with great sorrow of heart to keep the limits of right, regular, meager, fare in his meal. And I must cry out with groans. Incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. When I want to apply myself to reading, headache interferes and stops me. And at the third hour, sleep glues my head to the sacred page. In the same way, I must cry out, Incline into my aid, O God! Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And I'm shopping in Tesco and I'm putting all the food through the teller and I bring out my test, I bring out my bank card and I give it to the teller and it says refuse. And I say incline unto my aid. Oh God. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And so on and so on and so on. He builds this up. Did it so well. The Cassiodorus, Cassiodorus AD 485 in Calabria says, And the most eloquent Cassian attaches such glory to it, this prayer, that whenever his monks undertake a task, they do not begin without declaiming this little verse, incline unto my aid, O God, O Lord, make haste to help me. And reiterating it three times, very useful, he says. And so St. Benedict 480 to 543, he puts it into his rule. It goes, St. Brendan the Abbot in his boat, reaches an island. And what do we hear in the text? And Brendan incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. St. Bathan of Iona, a Scottish saint. Irish saint, all the Scots. The Irish Iona saints are all from Ireland. But fantastic saint. Anyway, he was really into inclining unto my aid, O God, in the perpetual prayer. And so it says of St. Bathan. I'll give it to you because you wouldn't believe me. St. Bathan, at no time save the time of sleep only, was without doing some work for God, either praying or reading or writing or humble service. When, however, he stretched out his hand towards the dish to eat his dinner, his other hand was aloft, praying to the Lord, and between every two morsels, he would sing Deus in adjutorio meum intende, domine ad adjuvandum vandum me festina. He was the cousin the friend and the successor of St. Columba of Iona. And so if this was going on at the table with St. Columba sitting at the table, obviously, obviously St. Columba was into it as well. They were all into it, Incline into my aid, O oh God. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. And why is this worth telling you? Because I'll tell you why. This is for the next generation. You know today the effect of orthodoxy on young Catholics, young good Catholics who are fervent, I must admit, I think it's terrible. They all chase after the Jesus prayer. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. You'll see them going around with rosary, saying it. It's from the Orthodox. Fine. It's good. It's Eastern right. It's fine. And they say, when they get to talk about it, Oh, that prayer... You'll find a similar kind of thing was done. Really, John Casson just gave a bit of the scripture and that really, you know, uh, the prayer was, is from St. Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Docetheus of Photiki uh, and the prayer is really uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy me a sinner. No, 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 no. And this is affecting young people. They must know. And we must practice ejaculatory prayer. We're told by our blessed Lord in the scripture, pray always. That was the prayer. And let me say, it's not just for the oldies. It's not only the old times. Then St. Columbanus, who came uh, from Ireland over to Europe, he was the same. And one day he's walking through the field and he's wondering, which would be the worst? To be martyred by a man or to be eaten by a beast? (laughs) And he thought... The worst would be to be martyred by a man because that man would lose his soul and go to hell. But if I was martyred by a beast, an innocent animal after all, and all at once he's surrounded by 12 wolves, what does he do? (laughs) Of course, you know. Incline to my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. And I've gone. (laughs) The stone missile of Ireland. AD 740 to 750 begins with... Incline unto my aid, O oh God, O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Saint Malruen, one of the as a founder of the of the Culde monks of Ireland, AD seven ninety two. He says in his monk into his rules, rule forty two: no praying in the toilets, except. Incline unto my aid, O oh God, <laughs> O oh Lord, make haste to help me. It's true. He had his reasons. St. Philip Neri, exactly the same. St. Philip Neri, as soon as a man feels that he's tempted, he should fly to God and devoutly utter that ejaculation which the fathers of the desert so much esteemed incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. St. Robert Bellarmine, who we've heard of already today, 1542, 1621, he says, repeat not merely in body and out of routine, but Urgently. And with your whole heart, what you say more than seven times a day. Incline unto my aid, O God, O Lord, make haste to help me. And that Lord, it's important to know, when we say, incline unto my aid, O God, we're talking of God. When we say, O Lord, make haste to help me, that Lord is the same Lord as we have in the beginning of the preface. That Lord is the unutterable name of God. It's the unutterable name of the Blessed Trinity, the YHWH of the Jews, In the Holy Scripture, that's what the Lord part is. So it's actually part of the calling on the name of God, and that's what we're to do. And then it goes on and on. St. Vincent de Paul, do you know that he died saying it? It was his favorite prayer. He was lingering. He was in his last agony, and they knew how to get him. They'd say, incline unto my aid, O God. And he'd say, Oh God, make haste to help me. And right to his last breath, Deus in Me
0: Domine Saint
1: Rose of Lima. She had these words constantly in her mouth and in her heart. Saint Alphonsus, our founder, in four of his different works, he says, This is the prayer to say. Inclined to my aid of God, O oh Lord, make haste to help me. The venerable father Caesar is for Redemptus, 1699 to 1750. He had at heart so much ejaculatory prayer. All these people go on about uh, clouds of uh, towers. I mean, I'm on the towers now. I mean the castles, the interior castles, or um, of Saint Teresa and mystical prayer. It's all fine, but that's God's gift. Mystical prayer is God's gift. Our part is vocal, ordinary, humble prayer. That's what we're supposed to be into. And so, Venerable Father Caesar Pusportelli was such a man on vocal and ejaculatory prayers. One night, the brother comes along to call him to come and preach, opens the door. The room, this man's not a saint. The room, What light coming out of the room. Caesar Pusportelli, with his rosary beads, saying his ejaculatory prayers, kneeling is off the ground. That's the power of these prayers that people try to keep praying the whole time. Father Paul Cafferot, spiritual director of St. Alphonsus, during his meditation he spent all the time saying prayers which he counted on his rosary. And now we come to Father Joseph Passeret, who's venerable. You know, Father Joseph Passeret died with an indentation in his thumb because of the use of his beads, constantly praying the prayers on the beads, counting them as he went around, and he died with this permanent indentation in his thumb. I could tell you also about a father, Blurt. He was a man to the rosary, and he used to try and keep bettering himself the whole time. And so in 1907, he used to say 18 5 decked rosaries a day, and by 1917, he had bumped himself up to 54 5 decked rosaries a day. It's okay, fine, so that's how we get that one. Five minutes left. Let me just quickly go through this point because this is, a, this is a, too nice to miss the opportunity of, of just continuing on with this. The next tower and the last tower, and we're nearly out of it because it's only five to five. We must stop within six minutes, is called the ivory tower of dusk and dawn. And this is another wonderful tower of our holy scion that's been abandoned on the whole, or it lingers only because we've just heard of it and don't understand what it's about. The ivory tower of dusk and dawn was founded in the 13th century by St. MacTildes, who had this habit of praying to Our Lady. She was a Benedictine nun, and she'd pray and she'd know whether she was being answered or not. So she's praying all these prayers, and she's always getting her answers. And then she's praying, I'd like to die just out there to her dear lady. Would you please come to me at the moment of my death? which is, you know, part of the Tower of Crisis. Please come to me at the moment of my death. She never gets an answer, and she's starting to get worried. And It's been going on and on and on for months. And why does she get no answer to this question? And finally, our Blessed Lady appeared to St. MacTilde and told her that, yes, of course she would come. But MacTilde, on her part, must pray every morning and every night three Hail Marys in honour of our Blessed Lady. Now, this is something that's a most important devotion. And you say, well, it's a bit over the top. I'm saying my rosary most of the time. You are. That's not the point. The three Hail Marys every morning and every night, St. Alphonsus puts it down as being the mark, the constant mark of a servant of Mary. And a child of Mary can never be lost so how do you find out what you've got to do to be the basic thing to be a child of mary he says three times in the morning and three times in the evening say the hail mary and between the hail mary that beautiful prayer by thy immaculate conception O mary make my body pure and my soul holy my mother free me this day free me this night whichever it is from mortal sin and you say well fine that's what he says and he's doing it in a whole tradition saint anthony of padua pushed for it St. Leonard of Port Morris, the patron saint of missioners, pushed for it. But the apostle of the three Hail Marys is St. Alphonsus Liguri. And he was known for it all the time during his life. And I, I, got, I think you could bear with this to get the full context this way. Here we go. This is St. Alphonsus. In the glories of Mary, having written already 500 pages, He says, I therefore now give with simplicity in a few words the various devotions which we can offer to our mother in order to obtain her favor. And this I consider the most useful part of my work. He's not writing a book on Our Lady for any other reason but for something really useful. Of all the practices, the first is the Hail Mary. We may sprinkle Hail Marys throughout the day, before or after work as he did himself. However, in his mind, this is what he says, First recite every morning on rising and every evening on going to bed three Hail Marys, prostrate on the floor or at least kneeling and add to each Hail Mary this short prayer by thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure, make my soul holy. My mother, free me this day or this night from mortal sin. Composing his life, his rule of life for a Christian, he writes, take particular care to always nourish a tender and special devotion towards Mary on a daily basis. Never forget the three Hail Marys in honour of her purity in the morning upon rising and in the evening before retiring to bed, so that she may preserve you from all sin. To young ladies in the world, he writes, in the morning upon rising, she thanks our Lord and offers him all she must do or suffer in the day. Then she will say, three Hail Marys, to ask the Holy Virgin to keep her beneath her mantle during the day and preserve her from sin. In the evening before going to bed, she will place herself again beneath the mantle of the Holy Virgin by saying three Hail Marys. And to religious sisters, Carmelites and all, he said that the three Hail Marys was a sign of the true servant of Mary. To priests, he wrote a model rule for secular priests. And on the morning he says, and then the priest recites three Hail Marys in honour of the purity of Mary. Then after supper, there is an examination of conscience followed by the act of contrition and other pious acts. Then, having prostrated himself, recites the three Hail Marys to the Holy Virgin and he goes and takes his rest. It's the same for the preacher, he writes. It's the same for the missionary. It's the same for the confessor. In fact, for the confessor, he says, he must have a vigilant care for the salvation of his penitents. He will not fail to suggest to all penitents be they devout or sinners, devotion to the Blessed Virgin, committing them to especially recommend themselves to the Heavenly Mother morning and evening by the recitation of the three Hail Marys to be preserved from mortal sin. For children, the same. For poor victims of impurity, he writes, upon them it should be especially imposed that they never omit morning and evening to recite the Hail Mary three times in honour of the purity of Mary. And before the image of this mother, the poor soul will renew his firm purpose to never sin again and will ardently pray that Mary obtain him perseverance. Those are some of the towers that are not to do with the sanctuary. But let us face it, it's not only the mass that suffered. The fire has hit the sanctuary, but there's been damage all through the great city of God and the towers of devotion, and these are all necessary for us. To recap, devotion to the infant Jesus, to take and examine the eternal truths For that, you can be recommended St. Alphonsus' little book on preparation for death or any of his other books. And then his good advice on the three Hail Marys and between it all, as often as you can, incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me.